0: From Deergo Collective, this is Responsibly Different, sharing stories of certified B corporations and our journey of joining them and leveraging business as a force for good. In this episode, we're going to deviate from our usual programming a bit. If you're new to the show, typically we have on a leader from a certified B Corp or other social enterprise and ask them about their business journey and the impact they are having. And then I always close the episode with some questions about their B Corp journey and any advice that they have for other businesses. However, in this episode, I'm going to directly address myself, uh, a need that I believe is out there. So as a trans person myself who has worked a lot on... A bunch of political campaigns on behalf of the LGBTQ community. I worked on marriage equality in Maine, Rhode Island, Oregon, New Jersey, Indiana, then worked on non discrimination campaigns in Utah and Idaho, served on the board of Maine Transgender Network, which, by the way, they're amazing. They are the largest trans peer to peer support network led by trans folks in the state and one of the largest in the country. Uh, But in addition to that, I've facilitated a lot of trans ally trainings for nonprofits, healthcare providers, and other organizations. And currently I'm serving on the advisory committee to the University of Southern Maine's LGBTQ Special Collections. So with all of that in my background and in, in a huge part of how I'm moving through the world now... I'm always letting folks in my sphere both professionally or personally know that I'm a resource that they can come to with questions about gender identity, pronouns, or or anything in that mix. And... Recently, I've been getting a lot of questions about pronouns, and I see a lot of folks frequently struggle with how to integrate pronouns, especially in the corporate world. And even within the B Corp community, I've, I've seen folks struggle a little bit with navigating this. So in this episode, I'm going to answer the many questions I've been receiving from folks in this realm in hopes that it helps you and your business build a more welcoming and inclusive workplace. I've included chapter markers as well in this episode, so you can easily skip to the content that will be the most helpful to you or come back and revisit it later. And we're going to start with what pronouns are, why they're important, how to integrate pronouns into your work culture, understanding some key terminology within the gender universe, and then I'll close with some key pillars of allyship. And other ways that you can build inclusive and safer work environments for you and your team. So, and And before we jump in, I also just want to acknowledge that while I will be sharing some of my own personal experiences for context, I am just one person. And my one experience is not universal. Every trans person has a unique experience and perspective. So it's important that we honor all trans experiences and that no one person can speak for an entire community. So... Please bear that in mind as we're spending this time together. So to kick us off, what are pronouns, right? In grammar, the role pronouns take is to take the place of a noun to reduce redundancy. If I were to tell you about my dog, Remy, for example, I might say something like, this is my pup, Remy. He loves fetch on the beach, which is easier than saying, this is my dog, Remy. Remy loves fetch on the beach. In the instance that I used a pronoun to refer to Remy, it also revealed more information about him. You probably noticed I used the pronoun he, which tells you something about Remy, that he is a male dog. If you're a dog owner, you're probably used to the experience of greeting strangers on the street with your doggo. I know for me, frequently, when strangers meet Remy, one of the very first questions people often ask is, what his gender is? They say, is it a boy or a girl? Or, or is that a good boy? Or something to that effect. And early on, I used to wonder about this phenomenon. Why do people care so much about what's between my dog's legs, right? <laughs> and really what people are asking for is how they should be referring to the dog. What pronouns should they use? Is it a he or a she? Should they pat the dog and say good girl or good boy? We also have all kinds of differing expectations around gender that extends even to dogs, which we'll dive into a little bit more later. So now we've learned two things about pronouns in the English language. One, they reduce redundancy. And two, they indicate gender. In other languages, they take on additional roles like indicating formality, or who is included, and other various traits. And there's actually a really great article from Duolingo that I will make sure lands in the show notes that talks in more detail about how different languages around the globe utilize pronouns. The three most common sets of pronouns are he, him, his, she, her, hers, and they, them, theirs. There are more pronouns out there like zizem or zizir. For our time together today, though, I'm going to focus on these three most common sets of pronouns. And while we're talking about what pronouns are, this feels like a really good time to do some unpacking around they, them, theirs pronouns. They, them, theirs can be used as a gender neutral pronoun in reference to a singular person. And This might be someone who identifies as non-binary, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, or any gender outside of the binary of masculine and feminine pronouns. And a common question or pushback I've gotten in different trainings and workshops when explaining pronouns is that they, them, theirs refers to two or more people in the English language and that it is grammatically incorrect to use they, them pronouns when referring to a single person. Well, I am happy to share with you that this is false. In fact, the Oxford English Dictionary traces singular they back to 1375, where it appears in the medieval romance William and the Werewolf. And while the English language evolved, as all languages do and are yet ever evolving, the singular use of they can be spotted all throughout the evolution of the English language. More recently, the pronoun they was Merriam-Webster's Word of the Year in 2019 when lookups for the word increased by 313%. And for the grammarians and academics in the audience, the APA endorsed the use of singular they in their seventh edition of the publication manual of the American Psychological Association, which means it is officially good practice in scholarly writing to use singular they. Whew, no more having to read or write she slash he or like a thousand different slashes between a bunch of different pronouns. Uh, you can just use the singular they. So the next kind of follow up or feedback I often get from folks is something along the lines of, oh, but Ben, I know. And I'm just going to insert a random name here. I'll use Camden, for example. Oh, Ben, I know Camden uses they, them, theirs. Pronouns, but I keep messing up. I keep forgetting how to use those pronouns. And later on in the episode, I'll address some common missteps and how to recover from them. But in this instance, the advice I give is the same advice that was given to me when I first started organizing in queer spaces practice, practice, practice. My friend Molly, who taught me almost everything I know about political organizing, made a flashcard for me to practice. They then theirs and other pronouns with. She had a dog named Harvey that I became best buds with, and she used Harvey as the subject. She wrote three sentences on this flashcard and put blanks where Harvey's name would go in the sentence. The sentences with Harvey's name went like this Harvey has to go to the bathroom. Here is Harvey's leash. Will you take Harvey for a walk? So now I'm going to run through those sentences two more times, once using he, him, his pronouns and once using they, them, theirs, so you can hear the difference. The idea, though, is that when you make your flashcard, you can use that sentence or something else entirely. But when you, use, when you create your flashcard, you want to leave where that name is blank so that you can mentally fill in the blank with whatever pronoun you're, you're practicing, whether it's they, them, theirs or z, 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 or what have you. So here's what it sounds like with the pronouns. He has to go to the bathroom. Here is his leash. Will you take him for a walk? Now with they, them, theirs. They have to go to the bathroom. Here is their leash. Will you take them for a walk? The more you practice, the easier it will be. What's most important is whatever pronouns someone asks you to use for them, you use them. Even if it's hard, even if you don't fully understand why or how, practice and use those pronouns. This leads us into why pronouns are so important. So why are pronouns so important? I remember the first time I was asked to give my pronouns in a group setting. It was the first time I ever volunteered with an LGBTQ advocacy group, and it was just part of how introductions were done. And it totally blew my mind. The idea that the pronouns someone uses might be different than the ones most commonly used for them was something I had just never been presented with. It made me ask some really big questions at that time. This was back in, I think, 2011, 2012. At at that time, I was moving through the world as best. I was assigned female at birth. And while I never really felt that I was a woman, my body told me and the public otherwise. And societally, we use she, her, hers as the pronouns for people we perceive to be women. So in that moment, I said, I use she, her, hers because I didn't really know what else to say. I was 27 at that time. It would be over an entire year before I tested the waters and used my true pronouns, he, him, his. And when I started asking the world to use he, him, his, it it wasn't easy. While it felt so good and affirming in ways I didn't know were even possible to use those pronouns, it it was a challenge when I interfaced with the public. Because to most of the world, I was still perceived as a woman. And I would get mispronounced all the time. And honestly, it was too painful, exhausting, or quite frankly, anxiety-inducing to correct people. And I'm someone who's very fortunate. I have had an incredible support network of friends and family and colleagues that supported me in my journey, but not all trans folks are that fortunate and have that kind of support system. And the pain that can cause... Is is serious harm and, and can pose severe mental health risks. So, this is a huge part of why making space and acknowledging people's identities and gender is so important. So, this is why stating pronouns is so important. When we offer up our own pronouns and ask other folks to share their pronouns, we are acknowledging that not everyone uses the pronouns that we would assume of them and that people's pronouns can change and fluctuate. This also recognizes That there are more than two genders. And by making space for those super important details, we are affirming that we are creating and working towards building a more inclusive and welcoming space. All right, let's talk about how to integrate pronouns at work. So, a great kind of guiding principle with pronouns, whether you're at work, or out in the world, is to assume you don't know someone's pronouns unless you ask. Think about pronouns the same way you think about someone's name. If I don't ask you what your name is, how do I know what to call you? Am I just going to make up a random name for you? No, I'm, I'm going to ask. I also recognize this can be uncomfortable or awkward at times, especially in circumstances where this isn't the norm yet, right? And if I told you I asked people's pronouns every single time I met somebody, I I would be lying to you. So, I think part of that discomfort is that we don't know if the person we're talking to has any concept of pronouns. Are they going to judge us for asking? What if what if we have to explain what pronouns are, why we're asking and and we get in over our heads, right? Like there's there are a lot of things that kind of trip folks up here. Fear not. There are a couple of ways that we can solve for this. One way is to offer up our own pronouns. So if I'm in the middle of introductions in a group setting or even one-on-one, I'll share my pronouns, even if the facilitator of the group or if I'm in a one-on-one situation, the other person doesn't ask for them. If if they're somebody who this is a new concept for, they'll likely not even notice that I mentioned it and they'll just keep trucking. However, if it is something that's important to them, it creates space for them to share their pronouns back to me. So. I do this for two reasons. One, it normalizes the sharing of pronouns. And two, remember how I said I don't always ask? If I don't know someone's pronouns, I do default to gender neutral pronouns or I just use their name. I use they, them, theirs every day for folks. It's also great practice for those of you listening that aren't used to using singular they. However, I do want to caution that if you do know someone's pronouns, you should use them. Gender neutral pronouns should not be a way to circumvent asking someone their pronouns. This is really important because for some folks using she, her, hers, using he, him, his, there's so much power in those words that people want you to use them. So offer up a a great, again, a great workaround, offer up your own pronouns, creates a space for folks to offer them back to you. If you're the facilitator, always ask. Uh, The second way that we can solve for this sometimes awkward interaction is to build a culture around sharing and asking of pronouns. So within your organization, in group meetings or presentations, ask folks to share their name, pronoun, and whatever other icebreaker you want to ask the group. Or if it's a, let's say it's a routine meeting that you have with a a group of colleagues and you already know everyone's names and maybe you just always do a fun kind of silly icebreaker, do pronouns anyway. Do names anyway, because people's names and pronouns can change, can and do change. And not so again, so asking for these things or creating space for these things, not just when you're meeting for the first time, because remember, pronouns can change over time and it can be really hard to come out and ask people to use different pronouns than what you had originally asked of them. But if sharing pronouns is regular practice, you've made space for someone who yesterday ask you to use she, her, hers, and perhaps today might ask you to use they, them, theirs, or he, him, his, or something else entirely. So in addition to introductions, there are a lot of other really great ways we can integrate pronouns in the workplace that help to foster inclusivity and a welcoming space. One is to put your pronouns in your email signature. You can even put a link below that says why pronouns are important and link back to this episode's show notes if that's helpful for folks. Really, in all seriousness, though, anywhere you list your name and job title, list your pronouns. Think of them as kind of a a cluster of friends that always hang out together. So that means on your business card, your website, name tags, the list goes on. And yes, if you frequently facilitate events, there are totally blank name tags that have a space for pronouns. I'll link to those in the show notes as well. So that's an easy find for you all. Anywhere you ask for someone's name on a form, also include their pronouns. You can literally put name, colon, blank space, comma, pronouns, colon, blank space. If you can remember that your pronouns are besties with your name, and anytime you share your name, you also share your pronouns, that will make life easier for you and and building a more inclusive space around you. Likewise, when you want to know someone's name, you should also be asking about their pronouns and offering yours. When you are talking to an audience or group of people, make sure you use gender-neutral language. And I know this can be tricky for some folks. Uh, a couple of my favorites are uh, y'all. I love y'all. Y'all is probably my favorite. Y'all means all, right? I don't know if y'all have seen some of those those signs out there. Uh, or using folks or people. In, and this is all in place of using gendered language, like, hey guys, or you guys, which I know is an easy uh, kind of language trap to to fall into. So really thinking about how we can back out of some of that gendered language that's that's become habit. All right, so some other steps to building a gender-inclusive workspace. If you want to be a real rock star, making sure you have gender-neutral restrooms available in your office is also important. We all got to pee, right? And this can be incredibly stressful for trans folks. I know for myself, while I was in transition and was very visibly trans, I used to panic every time I had to use a gendered restroom, not because I desperately wanted to be in one or the other, but more because I just wanted to pee in peace. If I used the women's restroom and I got read as a man, is someone going to be offended and yell at me to get out? If I use the men's room and am perceived as trans, am I going to get beat up? I would look myself up and down and try and guess how people around me were perceiving me before choosing which bathroom to use, and often if I couldn't figure out which restroom seemed like the safer bet, I would just hold it so I could find a single stall restroom, which also isn't healthy. So an easy way to ensure you have gender-neutral bathrooms available uh, is to cr- transition to co-ed restrooms. This is as simple as changing signage. So by changing the signs on your gendered bathrooms to instead describe the utilities within each bathroom. So, for example, you may remove the sign of the man stick figure on the men's bathroom and instead replace it with one that depicts a urinal and a stall or even more helpful to everyone. One that reads exactly what's in there. So three urinals, two stalls, one changing table. And to replace the stick figure woman on your currently designated woman's restroom, you could say four stalls, one changing table. And then everyone just uses whatever bathroom they need. If you're running an event, you can literally cover the existing signs on the restrooms at the venue with your own paper signs and just take them down when you leave. Now, a common pushback to co-ed bathrooms I've heard from some folks or some concerns, I should say, uh, is a fear around harassment and safety. And the reality, and I I hear that, I totally hear that, and the reality is that the people most likely to be harassed or to face violence in a restroom are trans folks, and for being in what is perceived to be the wrong restroom. I will say a perhaps unexpected side note that I have seen in co-ed or gender-neutral restrooms is that I have found them to be cleaner. Now, remember, I'm a trans guy. I spent the first nearly 30 years of my life in women's restrooms in the last six years in men's restrooms. And I can tell you firsthand experience, both are equally gross. Yet, for whatever reason, when I've used co-ed bathrooms, for reasons beyond my knowledge, people tend to be quite a bit tidier. So there you go. Unexpected goodness. Uh, another really important, but in all seriousness, another really important measure to take, and one that also gets you points on your B Impact Assessment, is to make sure that your health insurance plans provide coverage for trans healthcare. Believe it or not, there are healthcare plans out there that deny coverage of routine care and or prescriptions for trans folks. Making sure that there are no exclusions for transgender people on your health insurance plan can really be life-changing for folks because medical bills, I can tell you, they stack up fast. All right, now let's get into talking about some key terminology within gender identity. So I can't just share with you about pronouns and not go over some other terminology that's really important to understand in the gender universe. I know you might be thinking, but wait, the name of the episode is Pronouns. Should it have been Trans 101? Maybe. But I have a method to my madness, I promise. Sometimes when a training or experience is labeled like a training, people can sometimes feel like, sweet, I've learned all the things. I'm good to go. And while I certainly want you to come away from this episode feeling like you learned something new and that you feel set up for success... And that you have the tools you need to start implementing these practices in your life. It's important to know that allyship is something we are all in together and we all need to commit to continue learning and growing. So in that spirit, I want to share with you some key language and concepts to understand in unpacking gender. And also note, I'm talking about the gender universe here, not just trans folks, because gender touches all of our lives. And being able to speak to our own experiences is just as important as understanding the experiences of others. So something you heard me mention at the beginning was that I was assigned female at birth. When we're born, the doctor takes a peek between our legs and based on what they see, they assign us a gender, male, female, or intersexed. And intersexed is when genitalia isn't clearly defined. And in some cases, uh, families and the doctor may opt to perform surgeries to conform the body of the child and assign them male or female. So male, female, intersexed, this is your sex assigned at birth. When you identify with the sex you were assigned at birth, you are considered cisgender, cisgender. C-I-S being the Latin prefix for on the same side as. So if you were assigned male at birth and identify as a man, you are a cisgender man. Likewise, if you were assigned female at birth and identify as a woman, you are a cisgender woman. Or you may hear both abbreviated as cis man or cis woman. If you don't identify as the sex you were assigned at birth, You may identify as transgender, trans in Latin being the prefix for to cross over. You'll know some people, you'll know I said may. Some people in rejecting the binary altogether reject the concept of moving from one gender directly to another and may not identify as trans at all, but as non-binary or gender fluid some folks may identify in either or both of those ways while also identifying as transgender. Frequently, the term transgender is an umbrella term that encompasses many other identities, and some people reject that term altogether. So those, those experiences ver- really vary from person to person. And the reason these language pieces are important is because they tell the story of our life experience. A cis man was socialized very differently than a trans man, likewise with trans women and cis women. So that prefix is an important telling in your personal story. And by using these prefixes, it normalizes the sharing of different gender identities and acknowledges that there are more than two genders. So another way to think about these prefixes is to remember that the prefix trans or cis, again, C-I-S, describes your origin, and the gender that follows describes how you currently identify. So a trans man is someone who was assigned female at birth and currently identifies as a man. Likewise, a trans woman is someone who was assigned male at birth and identifies as a woman. So for me, as an example, I was assigned female at birth, was socialized as a woman, moved through the world in that way, and currently identify as a man today. Therefore, I identify as a trans man. People often tell me that they get confused with the terms trans man or trans women and that they are unsure what direction folks may be transitioning to or or from. And I remember I was working on a political campaign, not LGBTQ related, and the campaign manager that I had been working closely with For over well over a year, came into my office super serious and sat me down and, you know, was very concerned and asked me, So, when should I start calling you Elizabeth and using she, her, hers? And uh, I had to explain to him that as a trans man, my birth name was Elizabeth and that I prefer Ben and he, him, his. So, to answer his question, you never have to worry about it. He was a little embarrassed and I totally understood what happened there. He misinterpreted my identity as a trans man. And so kind of an easy way to remember how that prefix works is remembering that the prefix comes before the gender, right? It, coming before is the experience that came before the current identity. So trans women and cis women are both currently women, however, how they got to become women are different experiences likewise trans men and cis men are both men however how they became to be men are very different life experiences so these are important to to know and understand because as you're interfacing with with different folks we want to be able to honor people's identities in in that way and to misgender someone or use those prefixes in the reverse way uh could could certainly cause some harm. So keep that in mind. Prefix comes before, it's describing the experience that came before the current the current um spot. The other thing that's really important here is that in sharing you like when we're when people talk about owning identities in your I feel like this is less common in corporate circles but if you're ever in a retreat and and kind of naming personal identities when you name that you identify as a cis man or a cis woman it it similarly creates that space for trans folks to do the same thing. And so it's not that just trans people are using prefixes, it's that all people are using prefixes to explain their their life experience as they as they move through the world. And similarly, this works in like just as we were talking about with pronouns, by doing that, by rather than saying, "Oh, I'm a man, I da da da," by saying "cis man," it creates that acknowledgement that you know and recognize that there are more than just two binary genders. That there are many more beyond that, right? Uh, which again is is creating that space for for folks of various diverse gender experiences to show up, which is really important. So to further unpack gender, there are three kind of key concepts to understand about how gender impacts all of us. We've got gender attribution, gender expression, and gender identity. Gender attribution is how other people perceive you. Gender expression is how you choose to present your gender, what clothing and style choices you make. Do you wear your hair long and paint your nails? Do you keep it short and wear cargo pants and so on? Gender identity is how you see yourself. The more, if you picture these as almost like circles or discs that can kind of slide and move around, the more that these discs overlap, the less friction you are likely to experience in society. So Let me use myself as an example. Gender attribution, how other people perceive you. I've got a super fun beard. I'm totally balding, which is a bit of a bummer, but also does contribute to my being read as male. And even though I'm trans, if you saw me walking down the street, you'd likely assume I'm a cis man. I express my gender through masculine clothing. I love me some board shorts some tech tees and a trucker hat in the summer. And in the winter, I can be found wearing climbing pants, flannel shirts, and yes, more trucker hats. So I also present myself in a masculine way. Both of these discs almost perfectly overlap, right? How I identify primarily as a dude. So I get to express myself the way that I want. My gender is interpreted the way I'd like it to be in alignment with my gender identity. With these three discs all perfectly in alignment, the amount of friction that I experience out in public is minimal. So with this comes something, in my case as a trans man, called passing privilege. So while I might get nervous in, a, in certain situations, traveling, wondering what might happen if someone found out I'm, I was trans, the actual likelihood for me is quite low that anything would happen which offers me quite a bit of peace and and protection. Contrast that with, again, talking about my experience, nine years ago pre-transition. Before I accepted myself for who I truly am, my gender attribution, people perceived me as a woman. My gender expression, I tried to wear feminine clothing every so often, which did align with how others perceived me, but was not in alignment with my gender identity. For me, this space was one of great stress. Even though it, was, it wasn't perceived by the outside world, you can start to see how the myriads of ways gender attribution, gender expression, and gender identity can overlap and how stressful and harmful they can be the more disconnected those three concepts become, particularly gender attribution. So if gender attribution, again, how others perceive you, isn't in alignment with your identity, and to be clear, this happens to cis folks too, you can be a cis man or cis woman and get read as too masculine or too feminine in a way that is not in alignment with what you're comfortable with. And it's important to keep in mind, as a species, we are designed to make quick judgments and categorize people, things, concepts putting them in their boxes, right? It is what has helped us survive and thrive as a species. But as we unpack this gender attribution, where is the real harm coming from? How do we know how others are perceiving our gender? You know how your gender is being perceived or read by the public in the way that people treat you and the language they use in referring to you, like pronouns. So language like ma'am and sir or mispronouncing folks, right? So ways that we can work to reduce that harm is by not assuming gender of those around us and asking for and offering up our own pronouns. Now, we could do a whole other show on gender and how it impacts all of us and society and, and so on, and really dig deep into these three core concepts and the way that they're impacting our systems and, I mean, literally right down to our everyday lives. Some of the stories I could share just in my own experience of how I was treated as a woman versus how I'm now treated as a, as a man societally, it's quite the stark contrast. However, for this show, I do want to keep us focused uh, on some of this space building pieces and kind of getting some of these core concepts across. So maybe in a future episode, if that's something you'd want to hear, definitely let me know. Um, I feel like that would also be really important to, to dig into. Uh, but it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack there. So, uh, so moving right along. Note, I, something I want to mention too, note that I never say build a safe space because you can never guarantee a safe space. Everyone has unique triggers or things that impact them that you could never predict. So let's keep striving towards building as safe a space as we can. All right, let's jump into pillars of allyship. So one of the key pillars of allyship is understanding the difference between intent and impact. You might have, and I'm sure you do, especially if you're listening to this podcast, I know The I've gotten notes from so many of you listeners and everyone is just so amazing. And the B Corp community is incredible. And I know everyone is coming to this and you're listening to this because you have great intentions. And yet even those of us with the best of intentions, the impact that we cause can cause harm. Right. So if someone tells you that they were hurt by something you said or did, we have to own that impact, even if it wasn't our intention. So we own that impact and we do our own homework to learn how we can prevent ourselves from causing that same harm in the future. And the reality is we all make missteps at some point in time. It is part of the learning process. If you misgender someone using the wrong pronouns or you use the wrong name for someone, apologize once, correct yourself in the moment and keep trucking. What you don't want to do is to over-apologize and make a bigger production out of it because it can make that person that you're, while you, I, I, and I know uh, folks genuinely feel terrible for making those mistakes. And even though you're in that space, the more you apologize, the more attention is being drawn to the fact that this person was just mispronounced, which makes that person feel even more uncomfortable right uh, and now we're add and now we're adding to them the onus of having to comfort you in in your mistake so apologize make the correction and keep trucking and if it's and if you're finding yourself making the same mistake repeatedly think about circling back to that exercise with the with the flashcard where you i know it might sound silly but practicing pronouns so much of this is is habit building right if you've never used they them theirs in a singular a person way, it just takes practice, right? So the more you do it, the easier it definitely gets. Um, and if you feel like you've made a major misstep and, and you don't understand what you did, uh, ask the person what they would like you to do in the future and then do it. So if it's that some you witnessed somebody else mispronounce someone and you corrected that person, and maybe the person didn't want you to, maybe the the person that was mispronounced didn't want you to correct them. I know that was me. Like if I went out to lunch with friends or something and a server mispronounced me, I do not want my friends to correct that because folks are handling my food. I don't, I don't, I do not want to get into my identity. Like for me, and again, I'm just speaking from my own experience. It was a case where I, I don't want that correction to be made. In some cases, I do want it to be made, right? But these are all conversations that you can have with the people in your life and ask, how can I how can I best support you, right? Uh, a frequent concern that comes up in some of the gender diversity workshops I've run is that people ask, I'm afraid of what I should or shouldn't ask trans people in my life, right? So this kind of dovetails nicely into that. A great kind of guiding principle here is to ask yourself, who does your question serve? Does it help me support the people in my life? Or is it more of a personal curiosity? If your question is supporting the people in your life, that would be a great question to ask. So some examples of what those might be would are there are some questions I think would be great are what pronouns do you use, right? We've already talked about that. Do you want me to correct people that misgender you? Are there situations where you'd want me to use different pronouns? I I know for me when I was first coming out, my I was living out in Oregon. I was working on a marriage campaign out there and my roommate was also my boss and and he asked, he was like, "Do you want me to use different pronouns for you at work than I do at home?" And when I was first transitioning, for me, that was actually really helpful. And it didn't last very long. I ended up, you know, working in a queer space. I think it was easier for me to come out in the workplace than it might be for other folks. But I mean, there was a good month or a good few weeks, at least, where he was using a certain set of pronouns for me at home and another set for me uh, in the office. So asking those kinds of clarifying questions are certainly helpful. Um, Are there specific situations you'd want me to use different pronouns for? Would be a great way that you could word that question. If you're in a workspace environment and you're supporting an employee, a great question is, do you feel safe in this space? And so on. And and when you ask those questions, making sure that you're really being open to the feedback that you might receive, again, this circles back to that intent, intention versus impact, right? Understanding that your intentions are, I 100% believe they are all in good faith. And even with the best of intentions, we can have negative impacts, right? So always keeping that in the back of our minds, uh, that that people move through the world in different ways and, and perceive things in, in different or experience them differently, right? Um, so all of those questions kind of fit the criteria of the answers serving the person that you're trying to support, right? Asking questions like, did you have the surgery yet? I mean, let's never ask what's in people's pants. I feel like that's a pretty good rule of thumb, and and something that I don't think any of you would ever do. Uh, but or even things like asking about queer culture or facts, right? Essentially, if it's serving your own curiosity, and you don't have a tight bond with this person, it's probably not appropriate. And if it's a question that you can ask Google, you should definitely start there for sure. The other thing that's really important with all of this is is to Honor the relationship you have with folks. So if you're really close with somebody and you want to know how something is impacting them, like, you know, you feel like, you know, something happened in the news. And like, I I remember, um, I remember when, when, when the Pulse nightclub, when that shooting happened, I mean, I think the whole. Queer community really felt that, and as somebody who had lived in Orlando and had spent time at Pulse, I that was really hard. And I think when that news broke, I know that a lot of folks were reaching out and asking if there are ways they could support. And and that those are all those are all great, genuine asks, right? And ways that we can we can support people. Um, some other really important pillars to take note of: respect gender and associated language even if you don't understand it. So you may not understand why someone changes pronouns or changes their gender expression or their name. There will be things you just don't understand, and that's okay. What's important is honoring and respecting people the way they ask you to. Trust trans folks to be the experts of their own identities. Don't make gender assumptions. Take space, make space. So a kind of cool little quip that I saw somewhere that I feel like fits this concept really well is that, quote, allyship is like character. It is measured by the things you do when no one is watching. I feel like that was like one of those little quotes I saw on a wall somewhere that I took a picture with and found on my I keep on my phone. I have no idea who the original person was that said that, but I think it's great. Uh, so if there are people that often don't get a word in edgewise in a meeting space make space in meetings for folks that maybe historically are quiet to take up more space. I think, you know, when we talk about gender, I, I know in this episode, we've focused a lot on the trans experience and pronouns and all of those sorts of things. It's also really important to remember, too, that gender impacts in a lot of ways the way that we interact with each other. And oftentimes cis women can feel left out of conversations or feel barreled over or right. So Really thinking about taking space and making space. So make space for folks that don't get a chance to speak up or maybe seem a little more shy or reserved. And for folks that don't get as much airtime as perhaps they are due, I want to encourage you all to take up a bit more space. Um, Ally is a verb. It should be an ever-present action that we are all working on together. I mentioned this earlier. It's not something that we're ever done learning about or growing into. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that we can all continue to learn from each other. I mean, I know even myself as a trans person, I'm constantly learning new ways that I can better support the other trans folks in my life, right? Because all of us are, as as humans even, right? We are, all come from such different experiences, um. So let's let's stay in this together. Most importantly, if you remember nothing else, remember that outing someone is an act of violence. And when I say outing someone, I mean revealing their trans identity. Uh, some folks of trans experience might not identify as trans at all and might not share that openly or outwardly or even identify anywhere on that spectrum. Right. Like I I know there are. Trans men in my there are people there are men of trans experience that do not identify as trans men in my world right like they are I am a man period and the steps that I took to got here were just correcting earlier stuff right like like that's not even part of their their journey so all of that is it's so important to never out people one out of respect but more importantly out of safety in many parts of this country it is. Still legal, believe it or not, to deny somebody housing, jobs, or public accommodations based on their gender identity. So it puts people at real risk for their own safety and security. Uh, It's also, in a lot of cases, trans folks can face being kicked out of their homes by their family, by their friends. So while I know nobody would ever intentionally out someone, There are some ways that I've seen people accidentally out people. Some of those include accidentally uh, using someone's previous name or confiding in someone while looking for support and how to help the trans folks in your life. I want you to know it's okay to ask for help. Just make sure that you anonymize the information about the person. Uh, While you're while you're getting that that help and support that maybe you need while supporting the folks in your life. Uh, Part of what spurred this episode. In addition to just kind of a lot of the asks that seem to be popping up more and more frequently. Um, is an old college friend of mine actually reached out over the holiday break and is navigating supporting someone close to him transitioning. And his major concern was making sure that this person was supported and didn't face any harm in their process. And we had a really good long chat. And in the end, the thing I told him, let's call him Jim for anonymity. I said, Jim, the most important thing you can do is When you get off the phone with me, text your friend. Tell them you care about them and that you support them and that you are there for them no matter what. Letting them know that is the most important thing you can do because you can't protect people from harm. People do lose loved ones. I've, I've Unfortunately, I've seen firsthand people lose friends, lose family. And, and 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 as much as we want to protect the people we love in our lives, we can't. But what we can do is let them know they're not alone. And that is the most important. So I, I want to make sure I, I leave you all with, with some additional resources. If you or someone you know uh, might be at the risk of suicide, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I'll also make sure all these numbers get in the show notes. Uh, You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. If you're a young LGBTQ person and you need someone to talk to, I would encourage you to call the Trevor Project. It's a 24-hour crisis hotline for youth. And that number is 1-866-488-7386. Again, that number is 1-866-488. Eight, seven, three, eight, six. And if you are a transgender person of any age, I would strongly encourage you to call the Trans Lifeline, which is run by folks of trans experience. And you can talk to uh, another person of trans experience. Um, they ha- offer incredible resources. That number is 1 565. 8860 again that's 8775658860 so most importantly at the end of the day support one another we're all we're all in this together I want to thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If if this was helpful, or if there's other stuff that I left out that you feel like is super duper important that people should know about, um, or other resources that you know about, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a bunch of stuff in the in the show notes. There's actually a really great PDF also that I think folks will find super helpful. It's from Bro. The Basic Rights Oregon group, which does a lot of work around um, trans protections and rights uh, in Oregon, uh, it's it's a PDF handout about common trans ally missteps. So it's actually really really great. It's this it's kind of like a chart, and it has what the common action is that people take, like the common. Um, you know how we were talking about intentions versus impact earlier that that common good intention that often gets it often has a negative impact so they have like one column is that and then the next column is how it's perceived by the trans person and then the final column is what to do next time instead it's a really 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 great resource and so i will make sure that that lands in the show notes too but again if you're listening to this and you know of really great resources that you think will help people uh let me know because i would be more than happy to put them in the show notes you can reach out to me at ben b-e-n-n at dot thanks so much Take care of each other. Be well. Until next time, you know, be responsibly different. Responsibly Different is a production of Deergo Collective. To learn more about Deergo Collective, visit DeergoCollective.com. That's D-I-R-I-G-O-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E ecom To learn more about responsibly, different